Well, let's start with a question to help us get percolating this morning. How many of you, don't raise your hand on this one, please. <laughs> How many of you have said the worst thing or the harshest thing you've ever said to the person you love the most? Or maybe one of the harshest things you've ever said to the person you love the most. You don't have to raise your hands, but I'll raise mine. I've been married 38 years, the most wonderful person in the world. I love her. I, I, I believe I would give my life for her. She's the most important person in my world. But you know, there have been times when I've said some of the harshest things I've ever said to the person I love the most. That begs a question, doesn't it? Because it, 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 it asks a question with the inference that our, that our values are off when we get into conflict. Something changes when we get into conflict that causes us to behave in an unusual way. Because as I said a few moments ago, I've said some of the harshest things I've ever said to the person I love the most, while at the same time I'd be perfectly pleasant to people I'd never see again. What is it that causes us to have conflict? Well, we'll talk about that today, but can I just start off by saying this? If you're the happiest couple here, you're, you're still going to have days. You're going to have bad days. I don't know who the happiest couple is here. I'm going to assume it's Mary Alice and me, but it might be you. Um, <laughs> You're, gonna, you're still going to have days. No matter how long you've been married, you're, you're going to have a time when you're going to have a difference of view, and then emotion is going to get into it, and this is going to be said, and that's going to be said, and it gets heated up, and you find yourself in an argument. Mary Alice and I had an argument like that 25 years ago. Um, you say, well, Mark, if you remembered after 25 years, it must have been really bad. That wasn't particularly bad. It was just particularly quirky. We were on our way to, to Michigan. I was, I was speaking at a pastor's conference. And we were driving. Uh, at that time, we didn't have Stephen. We just had Jonathan and Jared. They were kids in the back seat. And Mary Alice was sitting in the passenger seat. We were almost coming into Indianapolis. And I, I'm always nervous about driving in a city I've never driven in before. I've never been to Indianapolis. And I was a little concerned about what, what time of day we were going to get there. And Mary Alice, you know, Miss Detail-Oriented by the book. Was, by the way, this is prehistoric times. There were no smartphones, GPS. Mary Alice had a map in her lap. And so I turned to Miss Detail-Oriented Research by the book person. They said to her, according to the map and time zones, what time am I going to get to Indianapolis? She said, well, I think about 4.30 in the afternoon. I thought, oh, no, that's the worst possible time. People will be getting off work. It's going to be congested. We're going to hit the city at the worst possible time. Well, anyway, we drive into Indianapolis, and I'm going right up the highway, right up the middle of town, and I'll look around, and I'm looking at the traffic, and honestly, this is all I said. I didn't say anything more than this. <laughs> With joy in my heart and peace in my spirit. <laughs> all I said was, I don't think it's 4.30. Because Mr. Intuitive Mark looked at the traffic and just said, I just don't think traffic would be this light on a weekday when that's not a holiday. I just don't think it's 4.30. And Miss, by the book, or detail-oriented, held up the map for me and said, look, Indianapolis Falls inside the line. It's 4.30. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't believe it is. And so that just ratcheted up and got hotter and hotter and hotter till the next thing you know, we're in a full-blown argument over what time it is. <laughs> if you're a baby boomer like me and you grew up listening to Chicago, that song, does anybody know what time it is? That's a serious song. <laughs> we got into a rip-roaring argument. And if I remember right, we didn't speak for a long time. Hopefully not till we got, I mean, I hope we spoke before we got to Michigan. But I mean, we just didn't talk to each other. You say, Mark, who was right? Well, technically we both were. 
See, we found out later that Indiana's kind of quirky when it comes to time zones. They didn't even get this resolved until 1999. They got little areas that are inside and outside the time zone. Turned out Indianapolis was one of those areas. So Mary Alice was right. When she looked at the map, Indianapolis was inside the line. I was right because it wasn't. Well, by the way, I was more right than she was, wasn't I? <laughs> if you're listening, babe, I'm sorry about that. You know, we've joked about it through the years. We've said some families can't discuss religion and politics. In our household, we can't discuss time signs. <laughs> You're going to have days like that. And I'm just not, I'm, you know, I don't want to blow sunshine at you and make you feel like that you're never going to, you know, I don't, I don't have a cure up here in this talk that's going to show you how never to have conflict again. Because you're going to have some tough days. It's going to happen to the best of us. I mean, we're different people. We all have sin natures. We're going to have those days. But here's the thing. There are some of us here today who, if we were honest about our situation, there are some here today who would say, Mark, we fight too much. We fight too much. Maybe you're married. Maybe you're in a, an engagement situation that's leading to marriage. Maybe you're just dating, but you're saying, Mark, we fight too much. Now, it could be that both of you know that. It could be that both of you here today, guy and gal both would say, it's true. We fight too much. We both know it. But it's not likely. Chances are one of you would say something like this, most likely the man. One of you would say something like this, Mark, we fight a lot, but it's not a problem because we always make up, so everything's fine. We fight a lot, but we always make up. Whereas the other person, probably a woman who would say, we fight too much. Now, it might not. Genders are the things that roles are changing in our culture today. So it might be the other way around. It could be a woman saying, hey, we fight a lot, but it's no problem because we always make up. And the guy saying, no, no, we fight too much. Let me, do, let me talk about that for a few moments. If I could just talk to that person here today who would say, we fight a lot, but we, it's no problem because we always make up. Could I just say something to you? That's tantamount to saying about storms. Storms are never any problem because the sun always comes out. Well, it's true. The sun always does come out. But damage happens in storms, and damage leaves debris. You know, and I'm not talking about the weather we've had this last week here in Kansas. If you're watching online, we've had a lot of spring weather here in Kansas, uh, storms. But a couple weeks ago, we had a pretty serious storm roll through. And where I live in south part of Andover, it didn't affect us very much. But as I got up around North Rock, I discovered that it hit pretty hard in that area. In fact, I had to have, I met a friend for lunch on North Rock. And the traffic was bumper to bumper in the middle of the day, I mean, lunchtime, uh, all the way down Rock and, and north of K96. And so I decided when I was leaving the restaurant, I said, I'm going to go back west and go back to Woodlawn and go up and hit K96. <laughs> Those of you laughing clearly know what I'm talking about. Because I never got to Woodlawn. The roads were blocked. There was so much debris on the road that the roads had to be closed off. See, here's the thing. When we fight and we always make up, we may feel like the sun comes out. But damage is being done, and debris is left on the road. Let me show you how it works. It works something like this. If you're in love, you're vulnerable. In fact, I just don't know of anything in the world that will make you as vulnerable as being in love. I've made this comment hundreds of times in 38 years of communicating. I've never learned to love without risking. If I'm in a situation and I don't have any skin in the game, if I don't love, I can walk away and there's no problem. But the moment I love, my heart, is at, my heart is at risk. And nothing makes you as vulnerable as falling in love. And here's why. We're always 
Deep down somewhere, maybe we don't ever articulate this, but deep down somewhere we're always wondering, how does she really feel about me? How does he really feel about me? See, we're always amazed that somebody would really fall in love with us because we know ourselves. We know who we are. We know what we've covered up. We know about those quirky little habits that when we were dating, we tried to push the mute button on. And so we're always just a little bit amazed that anybody would fall in love with us. And when we get those affirming comments, the love and the flowers and the cards and the sweet words and the back rubs and all that kind of thing, when we get that, it's like, well, that's really wonderful. We appreciate the affirmation. But deep down inside, we're wondering, how does he really feel about me? How does she really feel about me? Where am I going with this? Well, let me take another side trail. Please don't. You can go ahead and raise your hand if you want to. Did any of you do debate in high school or college? Would you raise your hand? Or maybe you're in law? If you did, you know how debate works. Now, I did debate in high school and college. And in, uh, in a debate, uh, usually you have a partner unless you're doing Lincoln Douglas. And, but if you have a partner and you're going up against another team, and, and if you have a, uh, a tournament, usually you do six prelim rounds. You do half of them affirmative, half of them negative. But there's one thing a debate always has, and that's a judge. The problem that we have when we have a difference of opinion in marriage is that we don't have a judge. We're depending upon the other person to be the judge. I'm presenting my point of view in the hopes that Mary Alice will judge in my favor, deciding that she is wrong and I am right. (laughs) Mary Alice is presenting her case to me in the hopes that I will come up with the idea that I am wrong and that she is right. See, this is the thing. We all start off with the discussion, don't we? We all start off with a different point of view. But what is the problem with the debate with no judge? It always ends in a draw. That's our problem. And that's where, that's where arguments become toxic. Because what happens to me if I'm in an argument with Mary Alice and I present my case, and after I get through eloquently, definitively presenting my case, Mary Alice still doesn't see it my way. Well, then I have to goose it up a little bit. I mean, I have to, I have to say, okay, uh, i got to find something a little stronger than just the logic of my argument. And if we're not careful, that's when we'll start saying things that are calculated to do a little damage. See, now it's not about my point of view winning the day. Now it's about me winning. And I know how to do that. I know where her vulnerabilities are. And I know how to punch her buttons. And so what will happen in a situation like this is we'll wind up saying something. This is going to be worth driving far, no matter how far you had to drive here today. We will wind up saying things that are laced with facts but are not truthful statements. How many of you know you can make statements that include facts, but it can be a totally bogus false statement? will say things like this. She'll say to him, you just always waste money on your toys. That's all you care about. You just care about your toys. You always waste money on your toys. You don't care anything about me. Well, there could be some fact there. Maybe he does spend a little bit too much money on toys, but not always, and he does care about her. Or the guy will say something like this, you only care about the kids. You give all the time in the world to the kids, but you don't care anything about me. You're a lousy wife. Well... The kids do call for a lot of attention. That's part of being a mom. But she does care about him, and she's definitely not a lousy wife. You see what I'm saying? The deal is, we know what we're doing when we make these kinds of comments. We're well aware of the fact we really haven't spoken the truth. It's just like, I'm losing this on a logical basis, so I'm going to make it personal in the hopes that I can, I can ramp up my side. 
Well, if you have arguments like that, and I guess all of us do from time to time, but if you have them too often, you can say, Mark, everything's fine because you know what? We kiss, we make up, if you're married, we have makeup sex, and it's okay. Sun comes out. Yeah, but there's debris in the road. Words have an echo effect. Do you remember a few moments ago I said we're all vulnerable? We all wonder what the other person really thinks about us? You know what happens to a woman, especially when, you know, she gets the flowers on her anniversary and the candy and the cards and the love and the little sweet notes and all that? And, all, and the husband really does love her very much. But in that argument when he said you're a lousy wife, you know what she hears? That's the echo effect. Yeah, they've smiled. They've made up. But she's saying to herself, now I know how he really feels about me. And that's not how he feels. But she says to herself, finally it came out. Now he says to her, I know how she really feels about me. She, she doesn't think I care about her. Probably she doesn't care about me. And even though the kiss and the makeup and all that stuff has happened and the sun has come out, there's debris. And what happens, what, and I shared it with you a moment ago, what happens when debris falls? It blocks roads. Because some of you have kissed and made up, but your roads are blocked. You've got the communication road is blocked. Could be the sex road is blocked. So all I'm saying here today is, I just want us to, here's the deal. <laughs> the idea that I could talk to us about conflict resolution in 35 minutes and share everything we need to know is ludicrous at best. There, there, there are a lot of you that deal with conflicts that I'm never even going to be able to touch on. For instance, if you tend to have your arguments over the same subject all the time, get some help with that subject. You know, if you argue about money all the time, Get, you know, get in our Dave Ramsey class, you know. If you argue about sex and, or whatever it is you argue about, that's, it's a great thing to have counseling. I'm going to be talking in general terms today. But here's the deal. Even as I talk, if I don't happen to speak to you about your situation, if nothing else, if you argue a lot, I just want you to take it seriously because it is a serious deal. Well, let's go to the heart of the matter today. What causes us to have conflicts? I began today by asking the question, how many of us have said the harshest thing we've ever said to the person we love the most? And I said it begs the question, why do we, why do we have something in our lives in which our values are so clearly disrespected? Let, let, me, let me take uh, the Bible and talk about that. In James chapter 4, if you have a Bible, Bible app. If not, these will be up on the screens. Why do we have conflicts? Somebody could say, Mark, I don't need to deal with that question very much. I know why we have arguments. My husband's a jerk. And <laughs> he's clueless. I know why we have arguments all the time. Mark, I know why we have arguments. My wife is crazy. She's taking a crazy pill just like her mother. And that's why we <laughs> have arguments. All right. Well, let's look at the Bible, okay? How, how would, you, would you agree the Bible's a pretty good source, resource here for us? James says, where do you think all these, and I'm reading this out of the message because it's just a wonderful paraphrase. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. You know, it's, you say, oh, we fight because somebody's wrong, somebody's right. James is saying, do you think that just happens? Let's read the whole verse again. What do you think, where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about, Mark Hoover, because you want your own way. You say, Mark, the problem is my wife. No, the problem is you and me. We want our own way. And there's a reason why we want our own way. And I don't like, you know, this is not the kind of day you would normally think about theology, but it, there's a theological reason. 
When our first parents brought sin into the world, they screwed the world up. And we have a lot of the ramifications that we deal with. And God, speaking to Eve after they sinned, God was telling her what one of the ramifications of the fall would be. And this is in Genesis 3, verse 1. You will want to control your husband, but he will want to dominate you. So we laugh and we joke and we have movies and television shows about the, you know, the, the battle of the sexes on this head button that we get into. But it's not funny. It's sure not funny at our house. It's not funny at your house. And really, it's a result of sin. We want our own way. Now, in case there's anybody else here wired like me, you know, I don't have a, I'm not just a type A personality. I'm type triple A personality. No pastels in my personality. And I'm the most competitive human being you've ever met in your life. I wasn't the greatest athlete, but I was always that athlete you, that you had to kill in order to be. Uh, if there's anybody else, guys or gals wide like me, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're saying, uh, Mark, I do want my own way, but you don't understand. It's not for me. I want my own way because if everybody did things my way, it'd just be so good for them. See, I, I don't want my own way for me. It's my wife who needs it. She just, she just doesn't, there's a lot of things she doesn't know. And if she just understood life the way I understand it, if she had been brought up the way I was brought up, and if she had the habits in her family growing up that I had in my family, you have to understand, I want my own way, but it's because I'm a benevolent dictator. You know, Mark, it's not, it's, it's not me. I, it's not, I don't want my way for me. It's my husband. He's just challenged. And if he just would do what I want him to do, he would be so happy. <laughs> well, I don't know who you married, but I married a very strong lady. And we, we love, we're best friends, and we have been for a lot of years, and we love each other very much. But I will tell you this. We have robust exchanges of ideas. And Mary Alice has never been one of those people that would just understand my benevolent dictatorship. So I've never seen the world work with everything that I think it should have. And neither are you going to. But you know what it would look like? Do you really want to know what things would look like if everybody would just agree with you and do it your way? Hey, I can read it to you from the Bible. Once again, from the book of James, chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, whenever you're trying to get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone is at each other's throats. Thankfully, you and I will never get to see a world where everything goes our way. Because if we did, or even if we tried to, things would fall apart. I'm talking to some of you here today, and you argue too much, and you may even be that person who says it's always okay because we make up, but isn't it true that you feel it in the words of the old Paul Simon song, that you feel it slip sliding away? You're not there yet, but you feel things falling apart. And if you've ever been there before, you really feel it because you can tell where you are in the relationship. I love my job because I get to tell you good news. It doesn't have to be that way. Even if you're in a relationship where you fight too much, it doesn't have to stay that way. Work with me for just a moment. My son, Jonathan, man, he knows so much more on this than I do. He's our couple's pastor, and he's a great researcher and a brilliant man. He's the one who wrote this great book. I have 
the blindfolded marriage here that he wrote, and I've got all this marking on conflict, but Jonathan was at our house this week. We, my youngest son, Stephen, turned 21, and so our family was gathered for a birthday party. Jonathan and I, we're doing what preachers do, even father and son. We're talking about this sermon. Then Jonathan and I both have a lot of respect for a researcher on the West Coast. He's not a Christian, but he's just a brilliant researcher, and, and uh, he's kind of, his, his claim to fame, and, and now it's not just him, it's all of his students, it's a big group. His claim to fame is he's been able to determine the couples that are going to make it and the couples that aren't going to make it with, with 90 plus percent, 93 percent predictability. Just, he, his research turned the marriage family industry on his head. But the thing that Jonathan and I, was, were, we were talking about this week is his institute has been able to look at couples and how they interact inside of a conflict. And what he's determined is that couples that aren't going to make it, couples that are toxic, have a ratio of positive interactions to negative interactions. Um, let me explain what I mean by that. And I, you probably could guess, but a positive interaction would be a smile, a touch, an attempt at humor that's not at anybody's expense. It would be a let's back away and think this through a moment. It's, it's an affirmation. It's just something within a conflict to let the other person know that she's still loved. That's a positive interaction. A negative interaction would be like the rolling of the eyes, sarcasm, you know, uh, intense body language, turning up the volume, saying something hurtful. Now, this institute has determined that in a really toxic couple, there is a particular ratio. And here's the thing that ought to really cause us to sit up and really pay attention. Because what I'm going to tell you is the ratio in a bad couple, a lot of us would guess that it's a good ratio. You know what they determine? A toxic couple that isn't going to make it. Their ratio in a conflict is one positive interaction to one negative interaction. See, a lot of us would have thought it would have been like five negative to one positive. No, it's one to one. You know what happy couples do? You know what couples you're going to make it do? According to the Institute, in a conflict, in the midst of a full-blown conflict, they have five positive interactions to every one negative interaction. Five to one. Well, that research is meaningful to me, but I have a bigger question. I want to know what kind of couple, when they're having a fight, have five positive interactions to one negative interaction. That's what the rest of my talk is about, because I can answer that question in one word. It's real easy. A prepared couple. Isn't it interesting? A lot of you, are, you, know, you're, you have high-level careers. You spend a lot of your time preparing for days that isn't today. How many of you in the military, you do, you do preparedness maneuvers for an attack that hopefully will never come? How many of you are in sports and you train and you prepare for a game that's still six months away? How many of us, you, you, you lead a team and you're preparing for the next 10 years? Why is it in the most important relationship in our life with the person we love the most, when conflict is inevitably coming, why don't we prepare for it? Well, today, I want to give you five things, and I'm not into taking notes. I have ADD, so I hate notes. But um, I, I, if there ever was a day to take notes, this is going to be great, because I want to give you five things. These are, and by the way, you say, well, Mark, I'm single. Well, if you ever think you might be married, this is really important to file this away. You can get it on the ground floor, and beyond that, you'll know who to look for in a mate. You say, Mark, I'm single, and I don't ever want to be married again. <laughs> um, 
hey, this will help you with any relationship. Okay, this is really good. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you five things. Numbers one and number five are by far the most important. Here's the irony. If you can get number one and number five, you'll probably organically take care of two, three, and four. But I'm going to give them to you. Uh, anyway, so you ready for this? Here is number one. We're talking about being a prepared couple and preparing for conflict so that we can get to that five to one positive negative ratio. Prepared couples, here's the first thing they do, and this is so big. They train their minds to think differently. See, here's the problem. If we act intuitively in a conflict, we're almost always going to do the wrong thing. So we're going to have to train our minds to think in a different way. So I want to give you two verses from the book of Romans that help us understand how to train our minds. Here is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now let me tell you how Mark's Bible would read if I wrote the Bible instead of God. I would say, if it is possible, as much as it lies within you, win. Just the Al Davis, just win, baby. Now, thankfully, Mark didn't write the Bible. Mark needs to read it, not write it. So here's what God is saying. If it's possible, when it, sometimes it's not possible. I mean, if you're dealing with a serial cheater, it's not possible to live at peace. If you're dealing with an abuser, it's not possible. Understand that. But God knew who we are. Because see, God knew that a lot of us would read that if it's possible, live at peace with all people. We would say, well, it's not possible because you don't know my wife. It's not possible because you don't know my husband. Look at that phrase the Holy Spirit put in there. If it is possible, as much as if within you, be at peace. Well, what's possible? Now, let me just show you something. I said we're going to have to retrain our minds. Many, if not most of us, when we're in a conflict, we think in terms of minimum threshold. Boy, what does she have to say before I can say, you know, before I can get back in her face? I mean, I just don't want her. She crossed that minimum threshold. There it is. I mean, it's just this minimum threshold. He went past that point. Maybe we're off to the races. Now, God is saying, if it's possible, that means that we, we don't think in terms of what the minimum threshold is. We think in terms of what the maximum threshold is. How much can I absorb before I decide we need to have a fight? You know. Most of us guys grew up in an age where we were told that a strong man is a man that gets his way, has lots of women, throws his weight around, does what he wants to do. That's, a, that's not a strong man. That's a jerk. Keeping it real, guys. But here's the deal. A lot of us, you know, we think about what we can press and what we can bench and what we can curl. And, and really, we can, we can move some iron. But the fact of the matter is, when it comes to conflict, a lot of us guys are like this. We can't pick up very much. You know, when, when God says, if it's possible, well, not much is possible. It's like, well, you know, she just looked at me the wrong way, and I just don't like it when she looks at me. That, can't you take it? No, I can't take it. I can't pick it up. We're going to have to fight. It's like, man, every time it's that time of the month, man, we just have it. And it's like, well, can't you do a rep? It happens every month. No, I can't do a rep. We're going to have to fight. There's a word for you, sir. I can't use it in church. I shouldn't use it anytime. I'll just use the word wimp instead, okay? 
He said, oh, I can bench. Don't tell me what you can bench. I mean, here's the deal. When your wife is not happy with you, what can you lift? What can, see, here's the thing. I train leaders today. I, go, I travel the country. I train leaders, especially pastors. I train leaders to understand something. It's not how much you can accomplish that marks you or measures you as a leader. It's how much you can absorb. I'd always measure as a leader. Some of you ladies, you know, you've been taught this strong lady. We especially have gotten this from like the 60s on. Strong woman is a woman who just, you know, vents her opinion. A strong woman is a woman who pushes, pushes her way around. Let's just make sure everybody understands what her point of view is. I'm not sure that's a strong woman. You know, I was just, I don't, mean, I don't have time to tell you the story, but I, I think, boy, I think about strong women, I think about my grandmother. You know, Mary Alice and I got married on a Saturday night. Friday night before we got married, a week before, her youngest son, my uncle Eugene, was brutally murdered in Fort Worth. He was stabbed over 30 times. We had his service on Monday in South Texas, the Monday before my wedding. I was just horrified for my grandmother. I remember going to the funeral home in Burnett, Texas, where my uncle's body lay, and I remember telling, I was going to tell my grandma, please don't even worry about the wedding. My grandmother met me at the door and said, and her son's body lying in a box in there. She threw her arms around me and said, Mark, I'm so sorry this had to happen to you and Mary Alice the week of your wedding. On Saturday night, she was there at the wedding, never mentioned what happened to my uncle. That's a strong woman. That's a strong woman. Not a woman who's just a pain in the rear. And here's the thing. In our, in our culture today, women are challenged just to say, you know, what is, but the thing of it is, you know, it's like, oh, I, mean, I, can't, I can't lift very much. You know, he left his underwear in the floor, and so I'm going to have to say something about that. Or, or he put the toilet paper in upside down, and I, I just can't pick it up. <laughs> and then we have a generation of guys and gals that can't pick up very much. And we can't lift very much. We're going to train our minds to think differently, aren't we? God is saying it isn't minimums, it's maximums. I mean, obviously, no one, no one should ever accept abuse. No one should ever accept serial philandering, that kind of thing. God never, that goes back to the, it's not, that's not, that goes back to possibility. I'm just talking about normal stuff. I'm just talking about that kind of thing where we can get on each other's nerves. God is challenging us to think in maximum terms instead of minimum. Now, let me give you the second verse. And by the way, this is kind of interesting because our kids are picking this up back at Kids World. So y'all can talk in the car about this on the way home. In Romans chapter 14, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Honestly, guys, my problem in a conflict is that something changes and I want to win. But that's where I get into trouble because the thing about it is if I were a wise person and I would change my thinking, what I would say is not how can I win, but how can Mary Alice and I both win? How can we both come out of that? What, what's mutually beneficial? Here's the thing. The verses I've just read to you from Romans chapter 14, they happen within a context. The early church... Was, it started out primarily a Jewish church. So consequently, those Jewish people would have brought with them all the dietary rules that they would have had growing up. But there were a lot of people that were Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't see anything wrong with a ham sandwich. And they were fine until they had church potluck, okay? And so they were going to war over 
over food. And that's where Paul said, look, if it's as possible, as much as lies within you, be at peace with everybody. Try to find a way for everybody to win. But it's this next verse that, honestly, and, and I'm, because I'm, I'm needing to hear this message as much as you're needing to hear this message. It's this next verse that's been the, the most important part of the sermon to me personally. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 20, in the very next verse after where it says, find a way for everybody to win, the Bible says, do not destroy the work of God over food. Now, the, I'm still amazed that Mary Alice would marry me. To me, outside of my salvation, the greatest gift in my life was when Mary Alice McDonald stood at the altar on June 11, 1977 and promised to be my wife. I do not know why she loved me so much to do that. That is outside of Jesus dying on a cross for me. That's the greatest gift anybody's ever given me. And as I look back on these 38 years, we raised our three boys and we served God together. If I know one thing about my marriage, I know it was a work of God. It was God's work in my life to let me be married to Mary Alice. You know what God is saying to Mark? Don't destroy the work of God over time zones. There's a lot of stuff that just isn't worth arguing about. See, here's the thing. You know, if I knew how to preach, I would preach this. Am I out of time? Oh, my goodness. I have so much to say. <laughs> here's the thing. When, when we get into an argument... We devalue the work of God, and we bonus the importance of whatever it is that we're fighting over. God is saying, look, remember the difference between a work of God and something as unimportant as what you eat. Okay? I've got to go on. I'm, I should be finished right now, and I've got five more to do. Could I have three extra minutes? Maybe four. Number five is so huge, I'm just going to run right through two, three, and four real fast, okay? And I'm just going to mention them. So if you're taking notes, here they go. Okay. Differences of opinion come up between the best of people, but fighting requires an enemy. See, I asked the question, why is it we say the worst thing we ever say to the person we love the most? It's because somewhere the debate, there was a little click in the debate, and it went from a disagreement to a fight. And in order to have a fight, you have to have an opponent, have an enemy. You know, Mary Alice is so wise. So many times we would be arguing about things in the past, and Mary Alice would end it with a simple line. It always shut me down. <laughs> it was really effective with ladies. You might want to try this. Mary Alice would stand there sweetly and look at me and say, Mark, I'm not your enemy. That would always close. Because uh, uh, I would have to look at it and say, she's right. She's not my enemy. So I want to leave you that second one. Fighting requires an enemy. They, and, and prepared couples know that. Number three. Prepare a couple, stay on the subject. How many times do you wind up in this full-blown argument and you're wondering, how do, we, how do we get here? It all started because somebody said, where shall we eat tonight? And the other person said, I don't know. Where do you want to eat tonight? I mean, how many of us have done that routine as many times as Abbott and Costello did, who's on third, right? <laughs> stay on the subject. This is, number four is one that's been very personal and helpful to me through the years, not just with Mary Alice, but with all kinds of people. Listen, whenever you're in a conflict with someone and someone is turning hostile on you, remember something good that person did for you. Remember something good. See, that's the thing. If you and I get into a conflict that's hot enough, we can forget that the other person's ever done anything good, right? You ever get into an argument with your husband and you think, this bozo's never done anything right in his life? 
And then that, that, that can happen. We're just, we're heated up. One of the most wise things you can possibly do is look at that person and try to remember something good that person did you. That face may be contorted with rage at the moment, but try to look at that face and remember something sweet that person did. Now, I want, I want to get to the most important one of all. And I'm going to need those three minutes starting now. (laughs) Let me give you what I believe is the most important relationship verse in the Bible. Now, that's just my opinion, which means it's it's really basically worthless. But I will tell you, this is what I believe. If, if, If you ask me, Mark, what's the most important verse that guides your approach to relationships? I'm going to pick James 3.18. Let me read 3.17 first. The Bible says, and the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Now here's my verse right here, verse 18. And those, you ready? And those who are peacemakers will sow seeds of peace and reap a harvest of rightness. I don't counsel anymore, but I used to counsel. I've counseled hundreds of couples back in the old days. And so many times I'd have a couple sit across from me, glaring at each other, hating each other, wanting to get a divorce. And they would say to me, Mark, I just had a bad marriage. I just married the wrong guy. I married the wrong gal. This person is the worst person in the world. And I'm sitting across from them thinking, these are both wonderful people. I mean, they almost hate each other, but I'm sitting across from them thinking, they're both great people. I'd leave my kids with either one. But at that moment, they're saying, we have a bad marriage. And what I'm going to say to them is, you're not having a bad marriage. You're having a bad harvest. Listen, this is so priceless. And and if you're a new springer, you've heard me teach this before. But I'm going to teach it until I lose my memory or God takes me home. Every thought you think, every attitude you hold, every word you say is a seed. See, this is why we're messed up when we think, oh, we made up and everything's fine. No, every thought you think, every word you say, every attitude you hold is a seed. It's going to come up. And that's why I would say to the couple, you don't have a bad marriage. You're having a bad harvest. You've been planting bad seeds. You had bad attitudes. You had bad thoughts, negative thoughts. You had words that were painful and hurtful. And so consequently, you left all those seeds in the ground. And guess what? They grew up. You had a bad harvest. You want a good harvest? You stop sowing bad seeds, start sowing good seeds. And that's what James is saying. He's saying peacemakers sow seeds. They plant seeds of peace. And they reap a harvest of rightness. Now, I know there are two objections I'm going to give to you right now. Because some of you would say, you you might not say this, but you're thinking it. Some of you are saying, uh, here's the deal, Mark. I would sow seeds of peace. You know, sweet words of peace, thoughts of peace, attitudes, peaceful attitudes. I would do that. But my husband isn't going to change. Sorry. It's just who he is. He's always been this way. He's not going to change. I'm sorry, Mark. My wife's just not going to change. And there's some even mitigating factors. I can prove it. She isn't going to change. You know what the word seed means? Seed is one of those things, those little things you put in the ground and nothing happens for a while. That's the reason why many of us are so reluctant to plant seeds of peace. Because we want instant, we're the instant gratification generation. We want instant response. We may not get instant response. You may go home, plant seeds of peace. You may say words of peace. Your husband may turn out to be the same crazy guy he's been all these years. Seeds. (laughs) Second objection. 
Could be somebody here today say, Mark, you don't understand. In my marriage, what is needed is not seeds of peace. What is needed is some rightness in my marriage. My husband is wrong, and he needs to learn to be right. And I'm going to help him learn to be right. And I'm going to tell him what he's got to do to be right. And then if he'll do that, then we'll plant some seeds of peace. Mark, you don't understand. My, my wife, she's just wrong. And so I'm going to have to get her right. And after I get her right, then we'll have some peace. Would you please listen to me? It will never work. How do you think we are where we are? It will never work. Why will it never work? Because it's backward. God didn't say plant seeds of rightness and you'll get seeds of peace. God said peacemakers plant seeds of peace and they get a harvest of rightness. Guys, one of the most important things that you and I can do to prepare for conflicts that are inevitable that are coming up is to say to each other, I am a peacemaker. Every thought I think, every word I say, every attitude I hold is a seed. And today, I'm going to plant seeds of peace. And if nothing comes up today, I'm going to plant more. And I'm going to plant some more tomorrow. And I'm going to plant some more the day after that. Because someday, on the promise of God, I'm going to get a harvest of rightness. Thanks for letting me go seven minutes over time. God bless. See you next weekend.